Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, if you want to begin to make your way there in your phone or in your copy of God's Word. I was watching TV uh, this weekend with the kids, and a, a commercial I've seen a number of times now puts forward this product that is, I'm just going to say it's, it's less than remarkable, so just know that before I go in. I don't own stock in this company. I don't even necessarily own this product, but I w- I've been amazed at this product. It's called Snackies. Have you guys seen this? Some of you have, and maybe you own stock, and that's why you laugh, but it, it, it's a cup that puts forward and says, listen, it's going to handle all of your family's snack mishaps. And so what it is, it, it's a cup that you can put 16 ounces of soda in, and then you put this other cup down inside there, and you can put presumably the world's smallest bag of chips in, and then you put a lid on top of that, and all of your snacks are in one place, and every family mishap has been suddenly avoided thanks to the gods of snackies. You believe it? You want to buy it. That's right. And so I I looked at it and I thought, man, this thing is amazing. This family looks so incredibly happy because they have found how to keep stains from their couch. Now listen, a lot of us, when we talk about parenting, when we talk about raising kids, what we want is the practical advice that's tantamount to snackies. I want something that boils all my kids' tantrums. I want something that boils all of my kids acting out. I want something that handles all of their not getting or, or they're getting out of bed at night. I want something that handles all of their wetting the bed at night. I want something that handles everything in them. I want it to be simple. I want it to be easy. I want it to, everybody say, work. You want it to work. Don't buy the snackies. My fear is it wouldn't work. But if you do get one, I think you'd buy one and get one free. Let me see one so I can field trial it so we can really get to the bottom of this. What we have here in Colossians 3, verses 20 through 21, isn't a catch-all for how to fix any issue in your home, but what we instead have is the principle for being a parent and a principle and a guide for what it is to be a child. Now, the fascinating thing about this, in the first century, where they would have found themselves, children had no legal standing, no legal right in any court, and everybody considered children more or less to be a nuisance. And so what's fascinating about this is that Paul actually begins his address looking at people that other people in the culture would look at and say, no, 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 you don't need to talk to them, you just need to tolerate them. Their goal is to grow up, to be successful, to contribute to the family, but they're not really all that important today. They're not really all that important for the family. But look at what Paul does. He begins his address to children which gives us the impression, which lets us know that they would have been included in the worship gathering of this early church, and it's an instruction given directly to them. So the understanding therein is that they are able and worthy to be a vibrant part and participant in this church. You see, it takes the entirety of the family working together to present a vibrant picture of the gospel to a lost world who so desperately needs it. Amen? Let's read 20 and 21 together. Paul writes and says, children, obey your parents in everything. Valerie, are the boys listening? Hold on, let's just wait for a response. They're a little bit behind. I'm going to take that as a no. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord fathers. And you can, you can lump in here the idea of mothers. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged it's fascinating that he begins and he talks right to children 
And, and, and it's to children that the first part of this sermon directly goes to. And it's this careful instruction, right? And it's a simple instruction. If you are a child, either in this room or listening online, this is your charge. Obey your parents. If you're a child, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the word to you is to obey your parents. Now, why is this so incredibly shocking? Because what he doesn't write is parents force your children to obey. He treats the children as if they are full-fledged members of the body of Christ and entrusts to them their own obedience. He entrusts to them their own obedience. Now, what he's building upon has an entire back history found in the Old Testament. Let's look at a couple of places. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. And then just put a mark here because we're going to be back here in just one second. He says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. So what he did there is he ties the future promise that they're going to go into the promised land and he says one of the ways that you can be assured that your days will go long in the land is submitting yourselves to your parents. And it's interesting that when Paul goes through and he lists uh, just this running list of sins and extravagances of the community and the debauchery of their culture there in the first century, one of the things that he lists in there is disobedient children. Disobedient children. And so he's going through, he's talking about lawlessness, and he's talking about lewdness, and then he says just disobedient children. So we get that your children's obedience and children of parents in here, your obedience is a testimony to your belief in submission to the gospel or your disbelief and utter disregard in the gospel therein. Getting your kids baptized. Kids, you getting baptized outside of yours daily, day in and day out, year in and year out, over and again, submission to the Lord Jesus Christ means nothing other than you stood before people and got wet. Parents, many of us have set our hearts on getting our kids across the finish line of baptism, and then we back off and say they're well and good, it doesn't matter anymore. And you wonder why your kids grow up to be out-and-out reprobates. It's because you set the finish line too early. You set the goalposts too close. The baptistry is not a goal line for parents. Lifelong fidelity to the gospel, living it vibrantly and beautifully in front of your children and wooing them with the love of Christ and his grace and his mercy, constantly extending it to them and covering their mishaps and their misdeeds. That is what he's called you to. To lovingly displaying Jesus in your interactions with your children. Now look at the second half of this. He says, obey your parents and everything. Now I don't think what he's saying is if your dad walks into the room, your mom walks into the room, they say jump, you yell, how high? Thank you. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Instead, what I think he's getting at, what I think he's instructing them in is also this idea of what's built there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. This is what Paul is concerned with. This is what the Lord is concerned with. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. Now this is what he tells them to do with them. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In essence, Paul says every facet of your life, everything you do should have this pervasive influence of the gospel. Everything in your, that's coming out of your mouth, everything in your heart, everything in your instruction, every teachable moment should be directing the heart of your child to the gospel. And this is what he tells the kids, this is what they obey. Obey the gospel that you've heard, the gospel you have received, the gospel that has been handed down to you. This is the everything. This is children. You recognize that some of your parents are unreasonable. Some of your parents are unreasonable in their discipline. It's too heavy-handed. It is unrealistic. In every area and aspect of your life, you have this sense that they are trying to control. Now, I want to say this. If you are a child in here and you are suffering from physical abuse at the hand of your parents, say something to one of the pastors here that you can trust. Your parents should not be beating you. You should not be afraid at home. And some of you obey your parents and you submit to your parents because you are afraid of them. This is not right. They are sinning against you. This is not a picture of biblical parenthood. This is a picture of child abuse. And the church should not tolerate it. And it should speak out against it. We want to see something happening in a family and we want to move in to address it. Because we see that mom and dad are people in need of redemption and address. And we see that children are in need of our protection. Amen? And we want to be those who step in to protect them. Now, the Apostle Paul addresses this longer, this idea of children obey to your parents and everything, over in the book of Ephesians, also in a parallel statement on the, fa- on the family. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. He begins to explore and expound on this. He says, children, verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Still, he comes back and he ties the heart of the child to the Lord. He says, listen, you need to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Recognize that obedience in the family, a child's obedience to their parents is a gospel displaying issue. It's an opportunity to either display submission and fidelity to the gospel or disobedience and infidelity to the gospel. But it's all wrapped up in the family. As parents, we are those who call our children to obedience. And as children, we are those who submit to the Lord in responding appropriately to our parents and the instruction they give us. Primarily, their instruction concerning how to tune our heart to God and to the things of God. But look at what Paul says here back in Colossians. 
He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And this begins to get at the idea of parents and, and why we want our children to obey. Sometimes, as a parent, we want our children to obey simply because their disobedience is frustrating. We're tired of listening to them. We just want them to be quiet, to go to the room, and to play nice. And, 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 and then when they become rich and famous, to support us and help us to adapt to the lifestyle to which we would like to become accustomed. Amen? Look what Paul, Tripp, Paul David Tripp had to say about this. He said, many parents unwittingly separate Christianity from everyday life as they parent their children. And in separating Christianity from daily life, they fail to make worship as important as it is. They want their children to believe in God, to go to church, to do what is right. But the primary focus of their parental energy is on producing children who are mannerly. Who do well at school and succeed in sports and music. So they try and control all the behaviors of their children that will get them to these goals. Because of this, they do not focus on the heart and what rules the heart. And because they fail to think about the heart, they miss those wonderful moments of grace where God is revealing the heart of the child so that the parents can be God's tools of rescue, leading our children to insight, confession, and repentance. They're left with trying to get their child to do what is right without addressing the heart. Failing to understand that if they could do that, then Jesus would not have had to have invaded the earth on his mission of rescue. Parents, when we see our child's obedience as our primary area of concern, we miss an opportunity to display the gospel to them. And when in the moments of discipline we move hastily, we move recklessly, we move, care we move carelessly to address their out-of-control behavior without taking time and patience to bring in and describe its impact to the gospel, then we do damage to the future potential of them having a relationship with Jesus as parents we model the effects of the gospel on our hearts and invite our children to come in and to experience that. This should be our primary mission and strategy and focus in parenting. Paul described it differently in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 where he writes and says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Parents, you have a front row seat to what God is doing and desires to do within the heart of your child. And listen, you can take the easy approach to just being heavy-handed in discipline and solely seeking to exercise control over your child. But if you do this, if this is your sole approach to parenting, you are missing out on the laboratory that God has placed you in for the development of your child. God has placed you to be his ambassador to your children. And so when your children disobey and when your children primarily disobey the Lord and when you are there and you're bringing their disobedience to their eyes and, to, and applying it to their hearts, you want to lead them to understand that they have first and foremost transgressed, sinned against the Lord. 
And it's on the basis of their transgression of God's command that you are coming to them and you want to walk them through what it looks like for them to be broken, for what it looks like for them to confess, and what it looks like for them to be restored to the Lord. And this is what he's given you as a right and a privilege to do. And this is what our children should experience. They should obey you in a desire out of a a want to please the Lord. But I fear that many of our children only obey because they don't want to upset mom and dad. They don't want to be an inconvenience to mom and dad. So they know that if I say this at the wrong time, this is my response. If I do this at the wrong time, that is my response. Parents, let us tune the hearts of our children to the Lord. Let us be quick to come to them when we misstep in discipline, when we're too heavy-handed. Let us come to them and say, listen, God is dealing with mom and dad because I was too heavy-handed in the midst of this discipline. Let us show them what it looks like as we model our response to the grace of God as he breaks our heart, causes us, calls us to walk in repentance, and let us confess in some sense our sins against them and against the Lord. And by so doing, we show our children what it looks like to have a beautiful, wonderful, glorious relationship with their Heavenly Father, who that when they mess up later in life, they are not fearful of. But when they mess up later in life, they know that their Heavenly Father is awaiting their return, welcoming them and says, come in, precious child, experience forgiveness, experience redemption. I have covered you with grace. I have lavished you with mercy. Do you not see it in the cross of Christ? Let us be the kinds of parents who extend the grace and forgiveness of Jesus over our children in the midst of parenting them. Paul moves right to the heart of this. He says, fathers and mothers, parents, do not provoke your children. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, he said it somewhat uh, longer and more exhaustively. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This idea of everything. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. This idea of provocation and giving your children something to rebel against. I was recently watching the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance, and I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the things that comes out of it in my heart is that Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, but he is a child and a bully. He's a child and a bully, and if you haven't seen it, that's not going to ruin the documentary for you, but you're going to walk away saying, yes, this is absolutely true. Well, Jordan, in every game that he went into, had to have some kind of rallying cry. He had to have some reason just to kind of rise up and and just demolish his opposition. So in one game, back in 1993, they're playing the Washington Bullets, now the Wizards, and and they're playing against them, and there's a guy named LeBradford Smith, and Smith has a great game. Now listen, he's an average basketball player. Something said he's averaging around six, seven points a game. He goes up and he gets 37 points in this game. And Jordan only scores a measly 25, right? And so he's not having a great game. And so the tale goes that at the end of the game, and the Bulls win the game, Bradford Smith comes over and he puts his arm around Jordan and he says, hey, Mike, nice game. Man, that burned him up. He was furious. Now keep in mind, he won the game. 
But for this know-nothing guy to come over and tell him nice game, the next time the Bulls were flying and they're headed up to play the Bullets, Jordan told one of his teammates, he says, kid told me nice game. I'm going to score more points in the first half of the game than he scored the entire game. His first half of the game, he scores 36 points. He goes on to score 47 points, and he makes LeBradford Smith look like a fool. I mean, he's just faking him left and right. He makes him look foolish, and he destroyed him on the court. Now, in the midst of the documentary and all these things coming out, a number of years later, some reporters come up to Jordan, and they say, hey, listen, we've heard a rumor that LeBradford Smith never actually said this to you. Is that true? And he says, nah, man, I made it up. He didn't say that to me. I just had to have a reason to want to fight and a reason to want to win. He invented this opposition because he needed something to provoke him to destroy his opponent. Parents, in our discipline of our children, if we are too heavy-handed in our discipline, if we set the goal of total control in all the various things that they do, what we are doing is seeding in their hearts opportunities for opposition. Now listen to this. It's not primarily opposition to you. It's opposition and a lack of submission to the Lord. This is why in our parenting, we're wanting to, we're desiring to create in the hearts of our children fertile soil for the seed of the gospel to grow that we tend, that we cultivate. And we want our children to see in us the resemblance of our Lord when he comes in discipline. It is perfect and it is perfectly well tailored to our personalities and to our acts of disobedience. Sometimes in the midst of these things as parents, we simply want the event, we want the occasion to be over. And so we do what, what Paul David Tripp describes. He says, it's so tempting to raise your voice, to make your vocabulary more pointed, to shake your finger, to get up in the faces of your children, and sadly to slap their faces, to shove, to push, to pull, to pinch. And none of these things opens the hearts of your children. None of these things gives them eyes to see. None of these things gives them a voice to confess. And all of these things shut the hearts of your children down. These things make your children angry and defensive. They make them want to escape you rather than hear you. They take, the, they take their focus away from their own hearts and on to you. They put you in the way of what the Messiah is doing in their hearts and in their lives. Rather than making you a tool for it. God has placed you in your children's lives to be a radical tool for transformation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not placed you in the lives of your children to be the Lord and Master. They already have one waiting for them. His name is Jesus Christ. Your goal, your plan, your purpose is to constantly point them to Him. Say, there is a better master and a better Lord. And he came and lived and died on the, uh, on the basis of desiring to cover your transgressions and your sins. Even this sin right here, right now, disobedience. And having died, this Christ rose again so that you might not live with a constant fear and receiving the punishment and the penalty of your death. But he rose again so that you might be united to his Father in heaven. And in the midst of our disciplining, 
if we provoke our children, if we anger them in our dispensing of discipline. We obscure their view of Christ. And we give them a front row picture of our frustration. We give them a front row of our anger. Would it not be better to give them a front row of the gospel? Do you see the end here of this heavy-handed form of discipline that he talks about? He says, Father, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And parenting, having children in your home is incredibly difficult. It's a job for which you, you rarely get to take a vacation. You take a lot of trips with those children. And there's a difference. There's, there's very little time off. And you constantly see yourself in the middle of failure. Some of us, as we go over these, as you go over these verses and you think on them, you'll think back to this morning. You'll think back to yesterday. You'll think back to last week or last year. In a moment, an opportunity where you didn't discipline your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but you disciplined your children in fear of you and a desire to control them, to control their behavior. So what you need to do is to go before the Lord this week. To confess before the Lord your failures as a parent. To confess your need for him. And in confessing your need for him and repenting of your failures as a parent, you will be met with grace. You will be met with forgiveness. We want to train our children to walk in the same light. I want to train my children to have hearts that are sensitive and responsive to the Lord and his promptings. I want to train my children that when they find themselves in the midst of disobedience, that they are tender-hearted towards the Lord. And it's my job, it's my wife's job, in the midst of dispensing discipline, in the midst of their disobedience, to do and engage in discipline that pulls them to the Lord, not fear of me or a desire to please me, but instead a desire to please the Lord. Listen, we have enough people in here, enough parents, who you have grown children, and so something that you've held on to, and I just want to talk about this briefly and then we'll close. You have beaten yourself up for years. Because in the corner of your parenting arsenal has been for you a promise. Out of Proverbs 22.6. That says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. You have taken as a promise. What God only intended within the confines of Proverbs to be a general truism. As a parent, you are a tool to show your children the gospel. But you cannot save your children. Your perfect parenting or failed parenting is not the final determination of whether or not they will come to know their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And some of us with parents have harbored this hard and heavy guilt that our failures 
have directly led to our children running astray. Don't live in the constant punishment that you heap upon yourself for refusing to receive the forgiveness of God. Confess your sins to the Lord. Seek to be restored to any children you might have failed. And recognize this is not a promise in Proverbs 22.6. The Proverbs are meant to be general truisms. Generally speaking, if you will spend your time and energy over the long haul of your child's life while you have time, pointing them to the gospel, pulling them away from culture, pulling them away from friends, and showing them the redemptive work of God and what he delights to do in their hearts and what he's doing in your own, generally speaking, they will respond to the gospel. And we need to be parents who our primary desire isn't raising well-adjusted, obedient children, but we want to raise children who know the Lord and who see his effect in our hearts. Amen? And as children, we want to be those who submit to our parents, who obey our parents, not because we want to please them primarily, but because we know that God delights in it. And we show the gospel to our friends in school in the way we talk about our parents. And some of us, we show our unbelieving mom, our unbelieving dad, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in how we submit to them. Man, God has entrusted to us a wonderful opportunity to present a glorious gospel. Would you join me in prayer as we pray that God would lead us to parent and lead us to be children in homes such as these. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to display the gospel even within the confines of our homes. And Father, we recognize, we confess that we do not always do well those things that you call us to. So some of us in this place, we need to experience your forgiveness. Now some of us, some of the children in this place, in this hearing, who have responded to you in faith, God, they need to confess that they don't obey their parents, that they obey the whims and wants and desires of this world in their hearts. God, would you call them deeper in love with you to be a better worshiper of you, to live lives of humble submission before their parents as an act of worship unto you. And Father, we pray for those who might have been raised in heavy-handed homes, who rebelled against the gospel, those who've lived in relative indifference and have never responded to the calls of the gospel on the basis of something they experienced in the household, and just on the basis of their own frustration. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts to your gospel, that you would call them to faith in your son Jesus Christ, and that they would find themselves even today softening and ready to submit themselves and to cry out for salvation. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.